You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. A young banking Trojan gains criminal market share in the Android ecosystem. Microsoft lawyers up and seizes, cites Iran's charming kitten used to stage its attacks. Another Iranian APT, Elfin, is described. A battalion's worth of Russian special operators and cyber troops are on the ground in Venezuela. Washington wants them out. Moscow says they're in for the duration. And accused NSA leaker Hal Martin is expected to take a guilty plea this week. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 28, 2019. Security firm Group IB has reported that an Android banking trojan circulating in criminal marketplaces has been growing in popularity and should now be considered among the top threats of this kind. The trojan is called Gustuff, and after about a year in circulation, it now joins more familiar banking malware like Anubis, Red Alert, Exobot, Lokibot, and Bankbot. Gustuff is said to be capable of phishing credentials and automating transactions in and around 100 Android banking apps and some 32 cryptocurrency applications. Both large traditional banks and new wave altcoin exchanges are among the targets of Gustuff's users. An attack begins with social engineering designed to get users to the Android Accessibility Service. That's been a common approach with Android banking trojans. But Gustuff departs from the norm in its ability to use automatic transfer service to expedite theft. That's old hat for Windows malware, but it's a new wrinkle in the Android world. So Gustuff will be one to watch. So far, according to Group IB, the malware hasn't appeared in trojanized apps offered in the Google Play Store, but users should be alert. Iranian cyber threat groups are again in the news. First, in a bit of lawfare observers approvingly call creative lawyering, Microsoft yesterday announced that it had seized control of 99 websites used by the threat group they call Phosphorus. A U.S. federal court issued an injunction last week that enabled the takedown. Phosphorus is also called APT35, the Ajax security team, and, our favorite, Charming Kitten. The group is known for its use of social engineering, usually tailored spear phishing, or more broadly based phishing that uses a bogus security warning as its fish bait. Traffic from infected victims will now go to a Microsoft sinkhole for analysis and not to the paws of Charming Kitten. Microsoft observes that this takedown is similar to the one they executed against sites belonging to Strontium, the threat actor better known as APT28, or, again, our favorite, Fancy Bear, which of course belongs to Russia's GRU military intelligence service. 
For some reason, Microsoft likes to use the periodic table of the elements for deriving its names for threat actors. We feel sorry for the poor hoods who eventually get tagged with thulium, not to mention boron, which sounds bad but is still a heck of a lot more useful than thulium. And what happens when you reach the 119th threat actor? Will Redmond move on to isotopes? Some element names, as it happens, are already taken by the good guys. Terbium comes to mind, and so should be off the table. Anywho, for now at least, Phosphorus has taken the hit. The other Iranian APT is one security firm Symantec calls Elfin. This group has been working most heavily against targets in Saudi Arabia and the U.S., but other countries have been affected as well. Belgium, Jordan, the United Kingdom, the United Arab Emirates, China, Thailand, Morocco, and the Czech Republic have all sustained attacks. Elfin's targets have been drawn largely from the engineering, chemical, research, energy consultancy, finance, IT, and healthcare sectors. Symantec calls the group agile and active, and notes that it operates by scanning for vulnerable websites. It then deploys a range of commodity and custom-built tools. Security Week notes that FireEye tracks the group as APT33. Neither Symantec nor FireEye think Elfin is the group responsible for the 2018 wave of Shamoon attacks, although Elfin and Shamoon's targets have shown some overlap. Some of Elfin's recent campaigns against Saudi targets have sought to exploit a known vulnerability in WinRAR, CVE 2018-20250. Successful exploitation would give the attackers control over the victim machine. We're all familiar with the phrase, fight fire with fire. In the ongoing arms race between attackers and defenders in the cyber domain, some say fight AI with AI. Satish Thayagarajan is VP and global head of the cybersecurity practice at Tata Consultancy Services. He shares these thoughts. Very recently, McAfee Labs uh, published a report, the 2019 Threat Prediction Report, that states that hackers will increasingly turn to AI to help them evade detection. This is very significant because we're already seeing patterns of attack that are very AI-driven. So cyber criminals will also use AI to automate the target selection. So therefore, in our assessment, over the last few months, we have seen a significant increase in cyber attacks, which are not necessarily leaving signatures of traditional methods of attack, but the significant influence of AI and ML by the attackers themselves. Hmm. Cyber attacks have become more adaptive. They've become stealthy. They are very intelligent, and the intelligence has increased over over the last few years. To defend against these kind of attacks, organizations probably need to use much more advanced AI machine learning, and deep learning capabilities to address this particular problem. And what are some of the things that draw attention to an attack as likely being sourced by AI or machine learning? Some patterns that we have seen is uh, malwares are now able to choose its target vectors on the fly based on the environment and vulnerabilities it perceived, which is very different to the attacks that have happened in the past. There are older forms of malware like TrickBot, which are now using AI to intelligently mimic trusted system components and adapt to the context of the target. So number one, they are getting very stealthy. Number two, they have the ability to adapt based on the target that they're trying to attack. What part do the humans play in all of this? Is this a matter where 
the AI and ML can handle the, the high velocity of potential attacks that are coming in and, and then alert the humans that these are the ones that we believe really need uh, your actual attention? Absolutely. I think you got it right on the money. One of the key issues that uh, we face as cyber defense warriors, there is this issue of alert fatigue. You get millions of alerts. You don't know which, you, which one do you have to act on. And you end up acting on a few and you leave the rest, not knowing whether the rest is cost, going to cause disruption. Artificial intelligence, analytics, and insights are going to give you the ability to identify the needle in the haystack. The kind of algorithms that we use will identify the rightful pattern that is pointing to a potential attack or a breach in your system based on data. There are also additional use cases where you use AI and ML in the context of uh, our business, we have built what is called as a doomsday predictor. The doomsday predictor actually looks at your WAF web application firewall logs. The incoming traffic is analyzed. And based on the incoming traffic, we look at what is the attacker trying to attack in your system or what vulnerability is he trying to exploit. And within your system, you look at whether those vulnerabilities are patched. And we do draw a correlation you know, and based on algorithms, we predict what is the likelihood that a particular vulnerability, be it on the infrastructure side or the application side, is likely to be exploited. And hence, that needs to be protected. So having AI, ML, or deep learning capabilities becomes very, very essential for an enterprise to be successful in defending their crown jewels. That's Satish Thiagarajan from Tata Consultancy Services. A small contingent of Russian troops, two plane loads, has arrived in Venezuela with the avowed purpose of assisting the Chavista regime recover from what Caracas maintains is a wave of cyber attacks and sabotage that have crippled its electrical grid. The U.S. wants the Russians out, and the Russians say they're staying. The two aircraft that made the delivery were an Antonov-124 Condor and an Aleutian-62 Classic, between them, the two aircraft have a troop capacity of somewhat less than 650, which places an upper limit on the size of any contingent they might have carried. The Russian troops are said to include both special operations forces and cyber operators, and so their presence might be said to constitute a kinetic contribution to an information operation. Few credit the Maduro regime's hacking allegations, but that's their story, and they're sticking to it. The Venezuelan power grid continues to suffer periodic issues even after power was restored after widespread outages earlier this month. European, Canadian and U.S. authorities cooperated this week in rounding up 61 people who'd been actively trading contraband of various kinds, drugs, guns and so forth, in dark web markets. In addition to the arrests, police seized $7 million in cash and virtual currency, as well as about 300 kilograms of drugs and 51 firearms. Coincidentally or not, Dream Market, now regarded as the world's largest dark web market since the demise of Silk Road, Alpha Bay, and Hansa Market, announced that it would cease operations at the end of April. There's some speculation that the police took over Dream Market some time ago and have been using it as a honeypot, but most observers think this is unlikely. It's probable that the Dream Market's proprietors are feeling the heat and decided to get out while the getting was still good. 
The Wall Street Journal, CNN, The Baltimore Sun, and others are reporting that former NSA contractor Hal Martin is expected today to plead guilty to charges of stealing classified material. His trial has been expected to begin in June. The government says they found some 50 terabytes of secrets in Martin's possession in his home and shed in Glen Burnie, Maryland, a Baltimore suburb near BWI Airport and just across Interstate 95 from Fort Meade. Mr. Martin's defense counsel have portrayed him as a pack rat, and in this judgment they're seconded by some of his acquaintances. But defense counsel has suggested that their client's hoarding was obsessive and perhaps pathological, and maybe in this respect even exculpatory. He's no Edward Snowden, they've said, and had no intention of harming the U.S. The government, it's worth noting, hasn't charged Mr. Martin with espionage, but rather with 20 counts of unauthorized and willful retention of national defense information. That's bad enough, but it's also not espionage. An interesting question that remains to be answered is this. With all the concern about insider threats, how was a pack rat able to pack so much over the course of more than a decade? Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, it's great to have you back. Um, We wanted to touch today on cyber risk management uh, and some of uh, the aspects related to that. Uh, What do you want to share with us? Thanks for having me back on. Uh, One of the areas that I teach here at Lancaster is around uh, cyber risk management as part of our master's degree course. Um, and one of the things that I talk to my students about when, uh, when we're going through this course is that the idea that for a lot of the uh, cybersecurity risk management um, elements that we're, we're looking at, so all the risks and the threats, they're based on a series of assumptions. Assumptions about who the attacker is, assumptions about the structure of the network. And what we're really saying when we're trying to make uh, risk evaluations is that this is the, the risk level assuming all the things that we have that go behind that are true. Um, And that basically moves us into a different kind of category Uh, because what we need to do is understand all those assumptions behind what we believe to be the known knowns. Because as soon as those assumptions start to fail or start to be proven to be false, then actually a lot of the risk uh, measurements that we've made start to fall away. They start to become invalid. 
Now, in terms of the known knowns and managing risk, are we dealing with absolutes or probabilities? By and large, when we're doing things like uh, quantitative risk management, we're thinking about the probabilities. We're thinking about the possible outcomes that the system can produce, and in this case, the negative outcomes, the negative events. And then we're trying to assign probabilities to those, the, most, the, the likelihood of those events happening. And, and what I'm interested in is trying to help the students and, and others to understand actually what are the assumptions that go into, into making those qualitative or quantitative uh, risk assessment analysis so that we can understand when those assumptions do fail, we, we can take appropriate uh, uh, remediation action. And that's really important because time and again we've seen in the technology scene a number of sort of assumptions around how the technology works uh, fail. So, for example, the, the hardware security issues we've seen with Spectre and Meltdown, you know, there's a big assumption here that the actual hardware is, is, is secure and, and, and uh actually doesn't, uh, doesn't prevent any problems. But you know, as soon as that assumption is proved to be false, then a lot of the other security assumptions uh, that we make and the security risk assessments that we make uh, then also become false and we have to start again. And so it's really important to understand the assumptions that we have that sit behind our risk assessment and try to map and understand those. And it's also caught up in this idea of inductive risk. So the, the reasoning process that we have behind it and the risks associated with that in terms of the biases that we have in place, potentially have in place, um, and then also based on the assumptions around the methodologies we use to derive the, the probabilities and so on. Yeah, it strikes me that, uh, you know, with something like those hardware issues, that's a, a low probability risk, I would imagine, thinking that, uh, you know, these hardware designs that have been around for decades would have a fundamental flaw in them. Well, there's a low chance of that, but it's also a high, uh, high impact if something like that turns out to be true. And that's this one of the, the significant problems, I think, with cybersecurity and technology more generally. Um, the risks are driven by uh, network effects, so they're highly exponential. As soon as something bad happens, it, happens, it tends to happen very quickly and, and at scale. So these things that we would normally not need to worry about in terms of physical processes, physical risks, uh, we do need to worry about because the, there is a significant impact uh, potentially from these low probability uh, risks. And there is, I would argue, uh, we need to consider those in a, in a, in a much more um, considered way uh, because it's time and again we've seen within cybersecurity a, a significant number of uh, black swan events, um, people, things that people didn't think could happen are happening and causing a significant number of problems for, for, for everybody. Hmm. Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.